As parents, we strive to know as much as we can so we can pass that information on to our children. But what if the information is new? That means you have to go out there and teach yourself and learn about this new information. That's what I want to talk to you about today. The new asset class of cryptocurrency has been here since 2008, 2009, I would say. Now, a lot of people don't believe in it, don't care about it, or just don't want to talk about it because they don't understand it. But as a parent, I feel you should know at least something about it because your kids will learn about it eventually. Financial institutions that shamed it before is now buying it secretly or just switched their whole mindset about crypto and now offering it to their clients to add to their portfolio. Now, you don't need to know everything but you better know something. So when your child gets involved into this asset class, you are at least knowledgeable in some sort of way. That's where our guest today, Shahar Abrams, comes in and helps us out to understand cryptocurrency in bite-sized pieces. Now, Shahar Abrams is the CEO and founder of Road to Babylon, an organization focused on educating the masses on cutting-edge financial tools like cryptocurrency, and fintech. So I am excited to have Shahar here because we are going to be talking about a new asset class. Now think about it. How often in your lifetime are you going to see a totally new asset class? So let's get started in 10, Come on, dad, stop playing around and play the music. Sheesh, tough crowd. Have you ever wondered why some people seem to have it all financially? Do well-off parents simply hand their children money? Or is there more to this wealth thing? Welcome to Raising Financial Freedom, the podcast. We are here to talk about everything you never knew to teach your children when it comes to starting their financial future. The principles behind wealth and methods that are out there to teach your child about personal financial freedom. There is no real trick to earning other than learning. We are here to discuss, teach, and grow with you. Raising Financial Freedom, the podcast, with your host and concerned parent, Eric Yard. Let us get right into today's show. Now, there had to be a beginning, and this beginning was right at where the financial system was at a wreck around 2008, 2009. And that's where Bitcoin came in. Now, what is Bitcoin? Where did it come from? And who started this? This is technology that's solving, I think, our two largest problems, you know, right now, which is trust online. How do you trust what you, who you're interacting with online and security online, right? How can you transact things online and have it be secure and have it be trustworthy? So it really hit me uh, from the beginning as this is a trust layer for the internet. And I later on, I've refined that a little more to say, you know, what, what I like to explain it as is it's a it's sort of a next uh, phase of the Internet itself, which I like to call the Internet of value. So crypto is allowing us to, for the first time, transact value on the Internet, just like we might send an email or a text message, which is permissionlessly. You don't need anyone's permission to do it. You can do it. You can, as long as I have your phone number, I can send you a text message no matter where you might be or what provider I'm on. All I need is an internet connection. 
So crypto is doing for money what the traditional internet did for information. But yeah, it's a trillion dollar question. Nobody knows who created Bitcoin. We only know the pseudonym that he, she, they used, which is Satoshi Nakamoto. It could have been one person, it could have been a group of people, or it could have been anyone. We, we really don't know. They went to great lengths to stay anonymous. And perhaps they knew how big and important it, it was going to be, or perhaps they were just being safe. We really don't know. But we do know why it was created. And it's pretty clear why it was created, because in the very first set of transactions, what we call a block in Bitcoin, and the very, very first kind of data block um, of the network, a founder, this anonymous person, recorded a message, which was actually an excerpt from a headline in a UK newspaper. And the excerpt, was, the headline was Chancellor on Brink of Second Bailout for Banks. And it was, yeah, remember this was in early 2009, right? The whole kind of financial crisis was in high gear. Everything was falling apart. The banks that had gotten us into this mess were getting bailed out, right? At the, at the expense, everyday people that had nothing to do with the problem. And, and so he encoded that message in the first block. And it was pretty clear um, to everyone involved and even and everyone now that the purpose of the monetary system was to bring power back to the people. And, and that sounds cliche, but literally we were in an environment where the government was doing whatever it wanted with money, printing as much as they wanted, handing it out to people at their whim and what that still happens today. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. I would argue very often it's not, unfortunately. And so the, the whole idea behind it is separating. We have separation of church and state. And the idea of Bitcoin is separation of money and state, right? Why do we need to let governments who have traditionally mishandled the, the, their stewardship, if you will, money and currency, and there are examples of that throughout history, why should we allow them to keep being in charge of money if we have a better way? We have a way to do it ourselves, maybe that's a better option. And so that's the whole kind of ethos and philosophy behind Bitcoin and by extension behind a lot of the crypto industry and movement. So now seeing that Bitcoin is giving freedom to your money from the government and from third parties, now after hearing the history of Bitcoin, this digital money, what is the actual technology behind it, which is called blockchain? How does that work and, and how is it being used today? And I think that's where a lot of people get confused at. Blockchain is the technology that a lot of companies are trying to implement into their everyday use in order to be more efficient, which is an indirect way for these companies to get involved in this cryptocurrency move. Blockchain alone has opened up the eyes to a vast new world for a lot of people. Yeah, that's a great question. Blockchains have actually been around for a while. The concept of a blockchain is really just a special type of database that uses advanced cryptography to link data together so that so it forms sort of a, a chain, like an actual chain, right? Where if you change any sort of data in that chain, because of how it's cryptographically linked to each other, it will break it, right? And, and it'll be very obvious that you have changed something. So because of that, blockchains have this really great property of uh, what we would call like immutability or tamper evidence, where they're very hard to tamper with. And they're pretty much impossible to tamper with without everyone knowing, right? So that had been around for a while, but the innovation with 
Bitcoin and crypto that, that got introduced was combining this method of storing data in a blockchain with, with a bunch of concepts around distributed computing, how to um, allow this to operate as a distributed network. So what that means is that on these crypto networks, anyone can contribute to recording transactions, right? And the more people are validating and recording transactions on the network, the more secure it is because the more people you have to fool if you're going to try and hack it. And so it allows everyone to do this, right? And in that way, it achieves this property of decentralization. And that's why no government or no, no individual person can shut down the network because anyone can just download the code and start running it and contribute to the network and keep it healthy. And the genie is out of the bottle, so to speak. So, you know, the idea of crypto is we use these blockchains to record data that represents money, that represents a scarce asset like Bitcoin or other cryptos where we actually, you know, can track who has what. And if you who has what, then you have everything you need to create a monetary system, right? Um, like you're, and a lot of people will say, oh, but there's nothing there. It's not physical. What is it? And, and what I like to ask those people is, what's your money in the bank? It's, it's just numbers on a screen. The, the bank doesn't actually have all that cash there. We all tried to go get our cash out of the bank. Guess what? It's not there. There's not, they only have maybe 10% of it at, at any one time. So all the bank is doing is recording this ledger, right, of, of credits and debits. That's why whenever you want to send your money from one bank to another, it takes a week because this bank's got to call up that bank and they have to settle each other's ledgers to make sure that your account got credited here and debited there. And, and so all of that, right, the keeping of the ledger, figuring out who has what when, right, that's all accomplished now on the blockchain, right? So the blockchain records all of that and it's public. We can all see it. So you can right now go look up the Bitcoin blockchain and you can find every transaction that has ever been made on Bitcoin since back since 2009. That is public information. And you'll see what you'll see is addresses, right? Basically like phone numbers, except longer and more, more sort of complicated, but basically uh, an address, right? Of someone's wallet and what, who they've sent coins to and how much and when, what time, the exact date and time, right? You can find all transactions that have ever been made on Bitcoin or on a network like Ethereum or on Litecoin or on Dogecoin. All of these transactions are recorded on this distributed ledger that we call the blockchain, and they are open and public for anyone to see. And anyone can make one, right? Anyone can send a transaction to the network. These various people around the world that I mentioned are helping validate transactions by just downloading some free open source code. We'll hear it and they will add it to the ledger and the network keeps going. And so this operates 24-7, 365. It's had pretty much no downtime in over a decade, and it's working. And it's a way for people to use money, to, to use money in the way that they want without anyone's permission, without needing a bank account, without needing permission from a government or anyone else. So it's open source money, right? It's, it, it, and that's the new paradigm that we're talking about here. And that's what gives us the internet of value, where we can now use the internet to transact value. And that opens up just a whole host of extremely exciting, I think, and powerful types of use cases and future business models and all sorts of stuff. Now, with all we've learned about Bitcoin and Bitcoin's history and the technology behind Bitcoin, where do we get it? Where do we keep it when we first get our first Bitcoin or other altcoins? 
especially for us parents who want to get our children involved in it very early. So I think the easiest thing to do is to set up a wallet for your kid, right? And maybe give them some crypto or give them the means to buy a little bit of crypto. The great thing about crypto is you can buy any amount of it, right? People say, oh, Bitcoin's $50,000. I can't afford that. You know what? You can buy 10 cents worth of Bitcoin and you'll still have it. It still works the same way. Open your kid a wallet and even let your kid figure out how to open a wallet. If you don't know, there's uh, there's lots of places you can do it. There's MetaMask, there's uh, Celsius Network, which is an interest-earning wallet. There are even wallets on the traditional exchanges like Coinbase or Kraken, which is what you should be using for crypto. Don't use something like Robinhood because they actually don't give you a wallet. They don't give you the actual crypto. Show your kid, let them set up a wallet and I think that your kid will, will get it pretty quickly, okay? Kid, kids have a much easier time with this than their parents most of the time, and I know that from experience. Your kid is going to figure it out pretty quick, and, it, and it's riding a bike. Once you are familiar with the crypto wallet, and once you send a transaction, you'll know how to do it, You'll and, and it, it will seem a lot easier after that. I would love to say start getting your kids involved in, in the crypto internet and like all these applications, the different DeFi applications, showing them what they can do with money, how they can start compounding money for themselves without having to use a bank just through using apps. And there, there's a lot there. And that's one of the reasons I've actually uh, created my online course um, that is releasing in the next couple of weeks where I give a, a lot of that information and I do demos um, and I explain all sorts of stuff about different apps and what they do and where they came from and all that stuff. And that's a great resource. You know, I do a lot of free resources as well, but the course is the, the big thing I've been working on for close to a year. And if you're a parent that really wants to get your kid a head start on their finances and on what I believe will be the new financial system in crypto, then I think that's a great idea. It can give them a huge leg up. Whether or not they make or lose money, getting that experience with how this system is going to work over the next five to 10 years and how it's going to evolve is incredibly valuable. I think incredibly valuable. If, if you'd like to do that, I would definitely urge you to check out to see if it's for you, or you can always send me an email and ask questions, and I'm happy to help you out with that stuff because I think it's so important. And I've taught kids this stuff, and I'll generally say they find it very interesting, and, and they take to it pretty quick. Since this is digital money, this also has to be a digital wallet in order for you to keep your digital coins in also. I wonder how that works. Yeah, great, good, great question. It's a digital wallet. So just how you, you might have a normal wallet that holds, you know, your money and it, maybe it holds some like ID cards, it holds other stuff. Uh, digital wallet is just that, but it's kept online. It's not necessarily online. It, it, it's something that's interacting with a blockchain network. So you can have a wallet for Ethereum or you can have a wallet for Bitcoin or you can have a wallet that has within it, within the app, several wallets for each of those different coins. And you can use that, right? Your wallet will have an address, which we call a public key, which is basically, it's like a phone number or mailing address. It's how people can reach you, right? So you can give that wallet public key, which will be a big string of characters to anyone. And they can use that to send things to your wallet, right? They can send you anything that that wallet supports. So if you give them a Bitcoin address, they can send you Bitcoin with that. If you give them an Ethereum address, they can send you Ethereum as well as thousands of other coins that are built on top of Ethereum to that wallet. And then you can use that wallet to interact with different apps, to buy things, etc. Right. And it, so it basically is like a mailing address, but it's a wallet. Right. And 
And the wallet, uh, I should say, is very important. The wallet has what we call a private key, um, which is an analog to the public key. Um, and the private key is basically the password that controls the wallet. So whoever has the private key literally controls the wallet. They can make transactions from the wallet. So your private key, when you create a wallet, you'll be given your private key. It'll either be a string of characters or a lot of times uh, they'll give it to you as like a seed phrase. So a, bunch, a phrase of a bunch of different words, a mnemonic phrase. And you just, you write that down, okay? You, you write down your private key or your seed phrase. You make more than one copy and you have it on paper. You don't store it on your computer and you keep it safe, okay? And you never share it with anyone. And that's all you have to do, okay? If you just do those things, you'll be fine having your own wallet, right? You keep the private key safe. You keep it accessible to you and you alone, um, and you never share it. Now, there are lots of apps that kind of take that responsibility for themselves, and they'll manage your key for you. And they're more like a traditional bank account where they're holding you know, your coins. They have the custody. They control the private password. You'll have a traditional just log in for them. And then you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And so that's fine to do as well. There is a lot of people that say that. And you have to do your due diligence on any custodial platform that you're using. Um, but, but a lot of times that's actually what's best for mo- most people because the data, the data is that more people have lost their coins trying and failing to keep their own keys okay, than, than have ever been taken or stolen and hacked to any third-party service. So I do both. I have wallets that I keep myself and that I control. And then I also have wallets that are custodied that I use because they pay really great interest, like I mentioned. And I just give them the coins and I trust them. I know the company. I've been using them for a long time. And I and they pay me the interest. And it's great. You know, it works great. And, and by the way, they still give you the wallet. You still have, you can still withdraw, you know, at any time or send more coins in or do anything you want. You still have the wallet. The only difference is, like you mentioned, they're holding the keys. They're taking care of kind of that security aspect for you. So actually, a lot of exchanges will set all that up for you. So if you go to Coinbase, you're buying crypto for the first time, you go to Coinbase and you buy some crypto for them, well, they'll already have a set up a wallet for you. And again, that's a custody wallet. Right. Coinbase isn't giving you the private key. They're maintaining a wallet for you that they allow you to control, obviously. But you can't like lose your key. Right. And then lose your whole Coinbase account. So when you buy crypto on Coinbase, they'll have an interface for you that is just like a wallet where you can send that crypto somewhere else if you want to or send more crypto into it if you want to. So that's still a great experience. Using a wallet works just the same way as any other wallet would, where you specify where you want to send, and then you can use that to send crypto or to receive it with the public key. And then if you want to go the next step, you can set up your own wallet, and then you can use the Coinbase wallet that they provide for you to send your coins from Coinbase into your own wallet. And then, and that wallet can be on your phone. It can be a browser-based wallet. It can be even a hardware wallet, like a very secure wallet that just is on a piece of hardware that it never touches the internet, you know, or something like that. So there are actually lots of options, you know, for how you can self-custody, right, crypto, something you can't do with really any other asset except for cash, you know, if you just keep cash. But if you buy stocks, how are you going to self-custody stocks? It's a pain to do. But with crypto, you have that option. And then once you, you know, have your own wallet, you can start even going to the next level and start using on the on Ethereum or on other networks that are part of the internet of value and do a whole host of interesting things. Yeah. Yeah. I can talk about that. So there are all sorts of coins and anyone can create a coin. It's, it's actually quite easy to do. So that's why 
you have thousands of different coins. And a lot of coins fall into a couple different categories, really three different categories. The first category is just a payments coin, a simple payments coin. And that is what Bitcoin is, this is what Litecoin is, this is what Dogecoin is. All these coins, all you can really do is send them back and forth. I can, so if I have Bitcoin, I can send some to you, I can pay for something, I can go to the coffee shop and send it to them to pay for a cup of coffee, fine. But that's really all you can do. You can just send it from place to place as a means of payment. Then you have coins like Ethereum, okay, or Ethereum or Polkadot or Cardano or Solana, which are their own networks. And, and these coins enable actual, basically computer networks that we call smart contract networks, where you can build all sorts of other applications, where you can actually build things, you can build money applications, right? Because uh, you can code on top of these platforms like Ethereum, you can build an app that if I send money to the app, it does X, Y, Z, like it gives me an insurance policy or it um, puts me into a pool that makes loans that pays me the interest on those loans. So those are examples of some apps, right? And then uh, the third category is a subcategory of category two, really, which is applications that are built on these smart contract networks that contribute to the running of the application. So you can have like, coins that you get for using an application. You can have coins that are used to literally govern the application, sort of like stock voting rights. You have coins that entitle you to part of the treasury of a certain project or lending protocol. And so those coins have a big myriad of different uses, some of them good, some of them questionable, right? And that's you know, part of the research you have to do. If you're going to really go outside of the Bitcoins, like Bitcoin and Ethereum, then you have to do more research on what the coin is actually doing in the context of an application or another network and how is it actually deriving value. So that's, of course, that's another very deep rabbit hole that we probably don't have time to go down. That is obviously covered in my course, but that, that kind of gives you an idea, I think, at a high level of the different sorts of coins that they are. Ah, okay, great. So stable coins falls into category three where you know, most stable coins are built on top of networks like Ethereum or other smart contract networks. And basically they're designed to hold to the value of some other asset, right? Usually like the dollar, right? So there are a lot of stable coins that track the US dollar and they can do it in various ways. Some of them are programmatic. So some of them literally use code to try and track the US dollar. Um, and some of them literally keep just dollar reserves and they track the dollar that way because for every dollar that they, every uh, dollar coin that they issue, they actually have a real dollar deposit. And that's coins like uh, USDC or PAX USD, a bunch of different stable coins. They operate that way. They actually do have uh, physical dollars for every coin that they issue and they are audited frequently and they publish the audits. I use stable coins all the time. Stable coins are fantastic because uh, they're basically just a better version of cash because they're cash that you can send around on the internet basically for free um, and send them anywhere and use them in crypto applications. So for instance, on my stable coins that I hold, I keep them on an app called Celsius Network, which is an interest earning custodied wallet. And I earn 9% per year on stable coins. So literally I take my money out of the bank where it earns 0.1%. I convert it into stable coins on Coinbase for free, one-to-one. -one. And then I send them uh, from Coinbase to the Celsius wallet using the Coinbase wallet for a very low fee. And then as soon as they hit that Celsius wallet, 
they start earning 9%. Now at this point, you still have the right to be a skeptic, and that's rightfully so. But like what I said in the beginning of the show, financial institutions are buying it and selling it to their customers. When once upon a time, they also ridiculed it. And now here we are in 2021, about to go into 2022, and it's only picking up steam. I think that first off, the fact that they were fighting it and ridiculing it at the beginning was just a clear sign that we're, we've got something here. And now they, they have realized that just the tide has turned. And this has, especially this year, become really more to the mainstream with things like NFTs and, and other stuff. And quite frankly, these legacy the banks and, and uh, investment banks like that you mentioned, their clients were demanding it. They, their clients wanted exposure and they had no choice right at the end of the day. But I think they have woken up to the power of, of the movement that we have and and the, the fact that, that this is a really significant sort of technological break that Bitcoin and Ethereum and others right have introduced and that it's not going away and that it is going to be disruptive. And it, it, we'll see. I think the next 10, 10 to 15 years are going to be really interesting with what happens between the traditional financial industry and and crypto, and then governments also have some questions that they need to ask um, about how to integrate this, how to get the most out of it, really, um, is the question that they should be asking. And it'll be, it's not going to be smooth sailing. I mentioned that crypto is the internet of value. I think that's really the best way to think about it. And if you think about the internet of information, right now we're in the internet of information. And this has happened over the past 10, 10 to 15 years. And we're still feeling the effects, right, of the disruption from the internet of information, things like social media, streaming media, all, all this stuff has been an outgrowth. Our ability to use the internet to share and send information almost for free. And that, that has changed a lot, right? Now, I you know, want to propose to you that the internet of value is probably going to be even bigger than the internet of information because almost every business deals with value and they deal, they, they, transact value, they manage value, and they have to use all these intermediaries to do it. And the largest intermediary is the traditional financial sector. That's all, all they do is mediate value. That's entirely what they do. And we needed them to do that for a long time because we didn't have a better way. But now we do. And now, right now, as we speak, the financial system is getting rebuilt in the crypto ecosystem. And that's, you, you may have heard the term DeFi before. Okay, DeFi stands for decentralized finance. And this is the new types of apps and that are that are getting built on the internet of value as the first apps that are really usable. And now we have NFTs, which has become another really big app. And we have play to earn gaming, which has become another big app. But decentralized finance is the most mature so far, is the farthest along because that's obvious first place to start. Because like I said, the financial system is just a big value intermediary. So we have rebuilt it, we have reprogrammed, and it now runs autonomously on these crypto networks, right? And you can go and interact with it. You can use these applications to earn really strong passive income with your crypto assets. I have some crypto assets. I'm able to earn triple digit APY, which is yearly returns, just by participating in these apps, by participating in the internet of value. If you're participating in the internet of value now, right, the fact is you're very early. And most people... Even most people that are investors in crypto aren't really doing this. They're not. You might buy some Bitcoin, maybe you leave it on 
the exchange, you leave it on Robinhood. You actually can do so much more with it. You can use these applications we're building in the internet of value to use crypto really where it's used best, which is monetize it, right? Have it pay you passive income. You can use it to take out loans and get really low, efficient interest rates. I can take out a loan with my crypto, right? And I can do it in seconds. I don't need any paperwork. I don't need any bank sign off. I can literally do it in seconds. So again, these are just some examples of, of what is going on here, right? And what the level of activity that there is. And I think it really rewards people that participate in it. So the fact of the matter is we're still quite early. You think about the internet of information, it took many years to reach maturity. And even now, the big internet of information winners like Google, Facebook, Netflix, Amazon, stocks everyone knows, they've still done pretty well. They've been doing well for a long time. And so I think we are not that far along really in this internet of value transformation. Right. The crypto uh, world has around 200 million users globally right now. Okay. The internet has four and a half billion users. And in fact, it took the internet about 15 years to reach its first billion user. Crypto is on track to hit that earlier. Okay. So we actually have data that shows that crypto is growing faster than the internet did, which the internet was, you know, one of the fastest growing things in history. Crypto is growing faster than that, but we're still only at 200 million users, um, which is not a lot. And that's that's not even like real heavy users. That is probably just anyone with a wallet. But you have to think in the long tail, right? We are, we are going through this transformation towards the internet of value until we have everyone using these applications and actually using crypto, crypto applications, crypto banking, stuff like that. I would say we're, we're still at the beginning. We have not even, like I said, most people I know that invest, they don't actually use the apps yet. They don't, they're not really participating. So I think we are still early in that regard. Now, when it comes to the market, it's always tricky, right? Because the market will get ahead of itself and then it'll need to pull back, but then it'll go up again. So crypto has followed these cycles of large expansion and then large contraction. And so you don't want to get in right at the end of sort of an expansion period because you might need to take heavy drawdown before the next expansion. But the fact of the matter is everyone was saying it was super late at the end of 2017. And you know what? You could have bought the very top of 2017. And now, four years later, you'd be up over 2-3x if you had just held on. Um, that's if you bought the exact top. That, that's the power of these waves, right? I, I think I'm not, a, I can't tell you, I can predict the cycle exactly, but I don't think that this cycle is over yet. I, I think that we at least have a few more months, perhaps several more months, perhaps even a year, who knows, of expansion left in the crypto market now. I think we still, you know, have, have, a, have plenty of room to go. And over the long term, which by the way, most of my crypto investments, I think about in terms of the long term, I, I plan to hold this stuff for 10, 20, 30 years. I, I might even give some of it to my kids. I'm, you know, I think on the long term, you're very far from being late. And if you have the patience and the conviction to sort of just hold on, everyone who has done that has done very well. So it's really about understanding it, learning about it, getting that conviction to know, to not get nervous, right? If you buy it and then it starts going down, you know what you're investing in, the thesis behind it, and you won't worry. And when people worry or when they get nervous, when they haven't thought through an investment well enough, 
that's fortunately where people make mistakes because they'll panic sell or they'll get to and they don't have a good enough understanding to know when it when they should just chill out and not buy right at that time so it, the more kind of you prepare yourself right the more you learn about it and what's going on the more you use it the more you're going to have that conviction to um, huddle right as we say to um, to stay invested when times are rough and wait for the the good times to roll, and that's true in all investing. It's it's not just people think that crypto is like way more volatile or way more risky than like the stock market, but really crypto is not that much more volatile than the stock market. And you know, the stock market you have stocks that go up two thousand percent and then crash ninety nine percent, and that's not that rare. So crypto is just the same thing. Um, the only difference is crypto is open twenty four seven. Kind of, it's, it's always there, so it can seem like it's more. That that's the way it is. And and uh, one thing I talk to a lot of new investors, and I've helped a lot of people become investors in the space. And you know what I always say is that move slow. If you're before you have that conviction that you might never um, have it enough to like to want to just go you know buy everything at once, which is probably smart. I always advise people to do what's called like dollar cost averaging. Just you buy a little bit at a time. You decide that's something you want to be invested in, you want to have exposure to. And so you just start getting that exposure and you do it very systematically to where you're not going to you know, buy everything at the top. You're, you're going to be buying once a week or once a month and, you'll, and, and you do that over a few years and you'll get like a pretty good average price. And, and, and then you, you're invested, right? And, and you don't have to worry, right, about your timing. I think it's very hard to time the market and it's probably not for most people to try and do especially if you get nervous or stressed about it easily. You just don't want to put yourself in that position. Don't worry too much about the timing. Focus on the long term. Is the thesis correct? Are we going to the internet of value? Are we moving more finance and value kind of mediation applications onto crypto? Are those, how great are those applications now? How many people really like their banks? How many people really like their insurance providers? How many people really the way social benefits programs work, let's say, how efficient they may or may not be? A lot. I think it makes a lot of sense for a whole lot of things to be moving onto the crypto internet of value. And I think it will become just part of the internet and it will seem normal in several years time. So that was a really long answer, but <laughs> I think the point is, I think that we are quite early. The market is never straightforward and it can be, it can be violent and have ups and downs. So for most people, you just buy in a little bit at a time. Don't rush, don't be in a rush, focus on learning and understanding. And in the meantime, use the apps that are out there, have fun and earn really great passive income. So with all this information that Shahar has given to us, I needed to know what did he love most about it? Where does he see cryptocurrency or blockchain technology going forward from here on in? What I love most about it is I think it promises a better future. It promises a more inclusive financial future for everyone around the world. It promises more inclusivity to financial instruments like loans or earning interest, right? Making your money work for you. It totally is going to redefine that. And it's totally going to redefine a lot of concepts of value. I mentioned that your wallet now it probably has your ID in it or it has your insurance card. We can create those types of credentials on the internet of value and make those into digital credentials that you store on your wallet 
And then you use a QR code to prove them. Anyone can like scan the QR code and see, for instance, you're over 21 or you have the right to drive in Florida or whatever the case may be. So all sorts of credentials like that are also going to move online. That's going to um, make people much, much happier, not having to go to the DMV or go back and forth on the phone with some identity provider, a hospital or insurance. I don't know about you. I hate doing that. And all that is just going to make the system way more efficient. And you know what? Say the government wants to do a social benefits program. Say they want to do something like COVID relief uh, payment. How many billions of dollars were wasted because of money that was sent to dead people or people that were committing fraud or people that weren't even here anymore? Imagine if everyone just had a digital wallet that had their verifiable ID credentials in there. And you know what? The government could just airdrop money straight into the, your wallet where you would see it the next day or you'd see it the next hour. You wouldn't be waiting. You wouldn't be on the phone with the Department of Labor. You wouldn't have to go through any of that stuff and it would be super efficient. So, so again, these, these are just some examples. Okay. I can give you examples all day. I used to work with this at IBM. So I'm very familiar with a lot of the use cases even related to governments and the public sector. And there's so, so much we can do. We can make the system way more transparent way more accountable, way more efficient, way less wasteful, way more inclusive. That's what's it, that, that's what I that's why I think it's, it's really familiarity. So there, there are a lot of scammers out there. There are a lot of people that you know are trying to take advantage of that people may not be familiar with wallets or private keys or how if you send a crypto transaction you cannot get it back. It's the it is the wild west out there. I will say that. It, crypto very much is like the wild west. I, for one, do hope we get some good regulation around it because that will actually be, be really helpful for the industry and for new people getting it. It seems, unfortunately, you know, our regulators are so far behind the curve that they're going to have some trouble really doing that. The cons are that because it's so early, there's a, it's a wild west and it's a dangerous game out there. And I've given some great examples of how you can get involved here and do it the right way. I also devoted an entire self-paced online course to help people get up to speed, you know, so that they don't make a bad mistake or costly mistake as they're getting familiar with it. You just got to be careful. And I think that's true of any investment that you would make. And I think it's especially just true here and worth taking the time because it is a really new thing. And there are people out there that want to take advantage of people that don't know, that aren't so familiar. I really think if I can tell one thing to the audience, I really think it's worth it to take the time to understand this, to get involved, whatever that might look like for you. And because it's incredibly empowering, it's incredibly lucrative, and it's incredibly, I think, hopeful in some of the ways I described. And once you start earning 9% on your stable coins, you're going to be pretty happy. You're going to get being paid every week. And whether that's just some more beer money or whether that helps you pay rent or whatever it is, it's, it's going to feel great. And we have a long way to go. It is not too late. I think it's worth it to put in the time to learn this stuff, to teach it to your kids. I actually think it's very important because I think people need to be aware um, of how important this technology is and what it can do and, and, and be informed. Seeing what Shahar's future outlook is for crypto and how far crypto can go, I needed to know what he has going on with Road to Babylon. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a website that's focused on education. It's called roadtobabylon.org. That's roadtobabylon.org. You can go there. You can find me there. I do lots of free content. I do a weekly newsletter, which I'll be sending out tomorrow. I do it every Monday and just keep people up to date on the market and what's going on and share my thoughts. 
You can also reach me uh, via email at shahar at roadtobabylon.com. You can find me on Twitter, Shahar Abrams. And the project I'm really excited about that I mentioned, I've been working on for quite a while, is a, a fully self-paced online course. It's called the Complete Crypto Investors Toolkit. And it is designed to be a Swiss Army knife toolkit of all sorts of great information, knowledge, demos, hands-on experiences using crypto. Over six hours of content that I think will get anyone way up to speed and ahead of where most investors are, I know for a fact, in this market. So I think I've tried to price that very accessibly, and I really encourage people to check that out. You can find it on roadtobabylon.org. And yeah, and I would love to hear from you if you just have questions or want to chat. I'm usually up for that when I have time. And I love talking to new people in the space. I do. If you happen to be local in Atlanta, which is where I'm at, I run a meetup group. We do meetups every couple of weeks. We do classes. I did a live class demo of using a particular crypto application a few weeks ago. It was really great. So definitely encourage you to come out to those if you're ever in the area. We have a lot of fun and get involved in the community. But yeah, find, find me at Road to babylon.org and i hope to see you there at the end of the course absolutely it was a lot of fun appreciate you having me now with all the information that shahar has just given us you are on your way to a good start in crypto now this is a new ever-changing and volatile asset class but take baby steps into it then take that same information you have learned and pass it along to your children in even smaller bite sizes. Question is now, do you want someone else introducing your children to cryptocurrency or do you want them to say, when the question is asked, do you know anything about cryptocurrency? And they say, yes, my mother and father taught me this, this and this. And also not to do this. It all comes down to being proactive. As always, I would like for you to tell other parents, guardians, aunts, uncles, everyone about the show and tell them to subscribe or follow either or it will definitely help out the show. Until next time, stay safe. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Raising Financial Freedom, the podcast. Stay connected with us directly through RaisingFinancialFreedom.com. You can also join the discussion on social media, which you can also find links on our website. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through info at RaisingFinancialFreedom.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to please like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, be kind to yourself and each other. Thank you.